It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter and Discord. Links in the description. Wait, wait, I messed that one up. Ah, whatever. This week's episode, Nuclear Shenanigans and Tomfoolery Part 2. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I made it. Yeah. I got it in there before that final drum beat. <laughs> Timing is everything. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little distracted. We were running late, and uh, I barely sat down in time to turn the computer on for seven o'clock. So Not you really. know that's uh, you know how it goes sometimes. I was making muddy buddies. Yeah, I was making oh, soup. Hell yeah! All right, but here we are for nuclear shenanigans and tomfoolery part two. For anybody who missed it the first time, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> And Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. We're recording this on New Year's Eve. It'll be out after that. But for the live people in the audience, Happy New Year's Eve and soon to be New Year. I saw a couple of you putting your hands up to, you know, if they on Discord, they can put their hands up and then I can click on them and then they can come into the thing and they can, you know, say something or whatever. But let's save that to the end of the show. So we can do that. Maybe if you guys want to say something at the end of the show, we can bring you in and you can, you know, say whatever you want to say, or if you have some comments or questions or whatever it is. So we'll do that at, you know, at the end. But uh, this episode where if you haven't heard the first part, there's a lot of crazy nuclear stuff going on that, you know, in the history of it. The first time around, I talked about um, a couple of times when they accidentally dropped nuclear bombs on America. Luckily, they didn't detonate, but... <laughs> whoopsie. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's, that's a big whoopsie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then Agent Kruger talked about the Demon Corps, and uh, Agent ETA talked about the Radium Girls. All really interesting topics. So this time around, Agent Kruger is slacking, so he's not here, but filling in is Agent Ether. Hi, all. I don't think you were here for the last nuclear shenanigans. And I was not on the show. Yeah, you weren't. Okay. Well, excellent. Why don't we get started with Agent ETA's topic on the theme of times when the world almost ended. And it was close, too, from what I understand. I mean, this is, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's startling, you know what I mean? How close we actually got to assured mutual destruction potentially, you know what I mean? So what I'm doing is uh, basically a story that, that happened within the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. So the year is 1962. We're in the midst of the Cold War, and they're playing. Uh, the United States and, and Russia, obviously, you know, are posturing back and forth. That's one of the big uh, common themes of the Cold War. So basically, what the the Cuban Missile Crisis was was the Soviet Union center, sending down nuclear missiles and building nuclear missile silos uh, in Cuba. Uh, now, this was in response to something that we had done. We had uh, nuclear silos in, in Europe as well. So because we had done that, we had them in Italy and also in Turkey as well. So in response to that, the uh, Soviet Union sent down. It's like, all right, well, you guys want to want to put uh, some, some silos right there next to us? Well, we're going to do the same thing. But the crazy thing about Cuba is like 
the I, I believe it what is it 90 miles I think it's 90 miles away from uh, Florida you know that's pretty damn close that's you really could swim close. there if if you were so inclined and in really yeah. good shape <laughs> yep. people have done it I'm from sure. what I understand people have too yeah yeah uh, crazy people in my opinion but people all the same yeah <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the Cuban Missile Crisis was was kind of a you know, it was a sticky freaking situation, man. So what the uh, United States decided to do basically was instead of like attacking the silos from like the air, dropping bombs on it, and doing something that was for sure an obviously outright like act of war, what they decided to do was quote unquote quarantine the Cuban islands. So what they did is they set up a naval blockade to stop these ships because they were already building like the, uh, um, there was a U2 spy plane that had got really clear, precise pictures of some of these sites that they were building the silos in. So obviously that once they found that out, the military, uh, the American military, they're like, Oh shit on a stick. We better do something about this, you know? And so they did, they quarantined the islands because <laughs> doing a, an actual like naval block, like it, it was a naval blockade. They just call it something different basically, you know, for, you know, for the world community to be more acceptable in what they're doing, you know? But, um, so long story short, basically during, uh, the crisis when they had this standoff and, and they're, they're going to be stopping these ships from coming in and, and bringing in the, the nuclear missiles, the warheads and stuff to uh, arm these silos. Um, the, you had a situation where the, the, um, the U S Navy actually had, had found that there were Russian, uh, submarines in the area. And the crazy thing is that they actually started like, um, sending, sending down uh, depth charges and stuff to like force the uh, submarine to, to, uh, surface. And the submarine did end up surfacing, but between then and, and when they did surface, um, there was a heated situation and I'll just, I'll name the guy, right? The guy that we owe the world to basically is a, a Russian Soviet, I mean, Russian Soviet. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's a Soviet uh, flotilla chief and uh, his name is Vasily Arkhipov. Arkhipov. I think that's how I, I'm so horrible at the damn Russian names. <laughs> I, yeah. I know Vasily. And I know that because Lomachenko, you know, or Vasily Jirov. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just call him Vasily, you know. So I, I, I think I can pronounce that. I think that's the the right uh, pronunciation. This this fellow Vasily, we owe the world to. I mean, this guy saved the world basically. So what happened was, um, he was on a boat, and there was uh, there on on this uh, submarine that he was on, the B fifty nine, had nuclear torpedoes. And in order to launch these nuclear torpedoes, they had to have um, three of the uh, Soviet officers on on the uh, the uh, submarine agree to basically launch these, uh, these missiles. And it's kind of a really special situation because that's not always how it works on Soviet submarines, but because of like, uh, how, how the, uh, the hierarchy was, was structured within this flotilla, they had to have three people sign off on it, not just like one person, you know? So that actually was another thing that saved our ass as well. Everybody's ass, you know, long story short, Vasily was the one holdout that basically, said, no, we're not going to launch these nuclear missiles, these uh, torpedoes, because obviously it's going to start nuclear war. So when they started getting like a uh, depth, depth charges and stuff uh, dropped on them, they thought that like, hell war's broken out. You know what I mean? So if war has broken out, we, we better do something. But Vasily, he, he guessed correctly that actually the war hadn't broken out. And 
and and we can't start a damn nuclear war, you know, just for nothing, just for some depth charges. So, so uh, he was the one holdout, you know, and, and this guy saved the damn world. I mean, it's 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 freaking crazy. Like I said, it's astonishing how close we were to nuclear war. Just imagine how. I mean, uh, so there's so many different ways that the world would be would be different if uh, the United States and Soviet Union had gone to war using nuclear weapons. I mean, shit, we might. We might be gone. We might have wiped each other off the face of the earth. Who knows? You know, we'd be sent back to the damn Stone Age or something, you know? And who knows how many it's, stories. It's just a crazy thing to think about. It almost like induces. Yeah, go, go uh, ahead either. Yeah, who knows how many stories there are that we many, don't know. stories. Yeah, that are similar that we just don't know how close we came oh, to yeah. nuclear war. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, well, there, there's. I'm sure there's probably situations we'll never know about, you know, that happened. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, another topic we need to do sometime is uh, UFOs and nuclear bases or reactors or whatever. That's a big topic. But yes, like I said last time, I don't think as a species we are ready for the responsibility of nuclear power (laughs) based on what I've read. Yeah. I've seen correlations between like how much nuclear power we have, how many explosions we're setting off and alien activity in the area. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's one theory is that uh, there was a definite up, uptick after they set off the first nuclear weapon, and then there was a spike in UFO activity. And some people think that, you know, that's some, one of the things they would be looking for, you know, that separates some primitive culture with an advanced culture is a culture that's able to split the atom. Are you sure? Because right? in Star Trek, it was the creation of the warp drive, being able to go beyond the speed of light. Well, yeah, FTL or whatever, but... um we didn't do that, but... But maybe uh, we should. But if you, if you just think about how crazy it is, it was all theoretical. Like, we couldn't see them. It was just basically, we did it on paper. It was like, okay, this should exist, so let's go ahead and see what we can do with that. It's kind of crazy. And we did that, and we, we applied that knowledge, and we're able to apply it quite spectacularly. Kaboom! Before we had exploded the first atomic bomb... One of the notions that I find the craziest is some of our most brilliant, some of the most brilliant minds that were working on the project, they weren't sure, and some of them were actually kind of positive that once we start this chain reaction, it might just ignite the entire freaking atmosphere of the of, of the planet. You know, yeah, it might be an uncontrollable <laughs> domino effect. You know, some of them were actually really thought that that might be a real possibility, and so like, and they they went through with it anyways. <laughs> but yeah. that's f- fucking insane. Yeah, you know, it, it's. That's cra- that's crazy. Yeah, scientists, man, they scare me. Like, oh, let's just see what happens. Yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> Could yeah, might you know might be fine. I'm pretty sure it's reasonably fine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, like the 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 Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, it lasted just over a month, and um, it affected our society greatly during that time period for sure because. You know, the year before they, they had just had, you know, that failed, uh, Bay of Pigs, you know, assault where, where I think it was a CIA, I think, wasn't it? That tried to infiltrate like rebel groups in, in Cuba and, um, also, uh, assassinate Fidel Castro didn't work out for him. Obviously it wasn't a, a formal invasion as far as using troops and stuff. They were trying to be very underhanded about it, you know, and, and it was, you know, a, a CIA operation, I believe from what I understand. I didn't do much looking into that. I just, it just pop up, popped up in my dome piece there and I had decided to regurgitate it. You know yeah. I, mean? I thought they trained like Cuban rebels or something to go and invade. And then it turned out very badly. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, it turned out they knew that they were coming and they were, they were already ready, waiting for them when they landed on the beaches, from what I understand. Yeah. The Cuban Missile Crisis is so crazy. This whole thing reminds me of, you know, back then, I've seen the videos. They're teaching the kids to duck and cover under their desks. Oh, yeah. In case of nuclear oh, yeah. holocaust. And then when it was, when I went to school, it was uh, drop and roll. Do you guys remember that? In case of fire? And they had you practice <laughs> yeah. dropping and rolling. Was I the only one that did that? Because <laughs> Well, they, they didn't do no, that in the context of that. nuclear no, no, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, it wasn't It's nuclear changed war. over time. Yeah. They used to be scared of, you know, nuclear war. So in schools, it was duck and cover, and then it was fires. So it's drop and roll, and now it's uh, with active, active shooters. They have active shooter drills. Right. Yeah, it's always something. It's always something. Yeah, it changes. Growing up, I actually remember my, my mom lived uh, on the East Coast during that time. And I actually remember her telling me stories when I was a kid about having to go through those those drills, you know, having to get un, get under the desk and stuff, and freaking you know watch out for the freaking nuclear bombs. Better get under your desk because that's going to help, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, like in, in hindsight, it's a little a little ridiculous. If you're far enough away to where you're not in the explosion, and and you know you want to shelter yourself from like debris and stuff, okay, that makes sense, but. Anywhere near that explosion, if you're going to be hit with that shockwave, it's probably going to kill you, <laughs> you know? I think all that, people were on the brink of panic, and there's not a damn thing you can do if the, if a bomb goes off. So I think they were just trying to tell people something, especially children, so that they could focus on their schoolwork and not worry about the constant imminent threat, you know? Yeah, yeah. As yeah. ridiculous as they're... Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I agree. But yeah, I mean, going back to uh, good old Vasily there, that I'm not going to pronounce his last name again because I'm horrible at that shit. Um, this guy actually, he like he was he was met with a lot of uh, disapproval when he got back to uh, the Soviet Union. He actually ended up having a good career. Like it didn't affect his career greatly. Maybe he would have been able to accomplish a little more. But it seems like the guy the guy still did pretty good for himself. I assume that there was people. They appreciated the shit out of what he did. They just couldn't say it publicly because, well, you know, the Soviet Union, you know what I mean? Right, um, but there was, most there was no was, parade. Was classified too. He went home, there wasn't a parade for no. him. There wasn't like certificate waiting. You know, there wasn't, I think, any public acknowledgement of what had happened, even later. Oh, yeah, he never got any. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He, he didn't get any, any public acknowledgement for that, or nor did he... Uh, ever receive any medals. I, that guy should have got a medal from every damn country in the world, you know, for what he did. I, I mean, uh, it was one person, one person stood between <laughs> assured mutual destruction, basically. You know what I mean? Just because of his refusal. Yeah. Yeah. He stood on his morals too. And actually one of the things that, that supposedly helped uh, him basically stand his ground was because uh, the guy was very, very well respected. Uh, a year before he was on a different submarine that actually had malfunctioned and um, like they had to uh, um, replace like the cooling system within the, uh, like the nuclear reactor. And uh, he almost, the, the ship almost had like a nuclear meltdown. And so he like, because of what he did and how he saved the day, basically that day, you know, he was very well respected with, within, you know, his field, you know, so that's one of the reasons why they're like, all right, we're, we're going to do what you say, you know, even though this might end up fucking us, you know, but, uh, and turned out good, I think turned out pretty damn good for everybody involved, I think. 
but yeah, it's, uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, I can't get away from how close, you know, it's, it was one of those things where it's, it's shit, man, if it would have gone a different way, history would be completely, I mean, the, the entirety of human history, the trajectory that we were going on would have been completely derailed, you know, and there's not very many events in human history that could say that that has that potential power and that effect, you know? Right. And so that, that's one of the reasons why I find, I find these situations so very interesting. You know, that's, yeah, it's, it's that, sh- that shit cray. Yeah. It, it would look a lot like the fallout universe minus the robots and stuff. <laughs> Just the garbage everywhere. The robots and the super mutants and stuff and yeah. all the cool, like uh, armor. I mean, I don't, I don't think there'll be any power, power armor suits out there, you know, after, yeah. after that. <laughs> yeah. Not anytime soon. That's one of the crazy stories, but mine is somewhat similar, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Was that, was that, um, your full story on that one, ETA? Uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I left out some details and stuff. I kind of rushed it a little bit, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much the gist of it, you know? All right. Well, we have time to do details if you'd like. Ah, you know me in details. We don't necessarily always get along, you know? All right. We will move on along then to Agent Ether, who wants to go out of chronological order and talk about the Chernobyl disaster. I don't know what this chronological thing is. I just want to talk next. Okay, go ahead. Technically, I'm next. That's how we do the intro. All right, well, go for it then. (laughs) All right. I'm not going to talk a lot about the fallout specifically in that I don't want to go into the details about the people who suffered after Chernobyl or even about the incident, like the physics itself, because that's that's been done and also some of it's, you know, somewhat depressing. But I do want to go into the conspiracy theories that are surrounding Chernobyl and that explosion. So in April 26, 1986, we had the worst nuclear disaster in history. The emergency response would involve 500 personnel and in today's dollar, U.S. dollars, the cleanup would be $68 billion. Damn. Holy crap. The incident occurred during, there was a safety test, and they planned to decrease the power in the reactor slowly, but suddenly it dropped to zero, and the reactor became unstable, and the core melted down. There was a fire and an explosion, and it released radioactive contamination for nine days over the Soviet Union and Western Europe. Dang. <laughs> so they came in and they built like this giant sarcophagus around it. And by the end of the year, it was finished. And then due to, deterior- due to deterioration, it was further enclosed by a confinement system. And the nuclear cleanup is scheduled for completion in 2065. Dang. Wow. <laughs> so they're not that's, even done. I mean, that's how it works, though, when you have these, you know, nuclear power plants. So, I mean, if you think about the waste product and how we have to store it for all that time, that's one of the arguments against having nuclear power plants is just the byproducts. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, the, the less than perfect track record. Right. And it's like if, you know, if, if like a natural gas plant blows up, It'll do some damage. It'll ruin a few days, you know. But when a nuclear power plant blows up, you got a real problem, a multi-generational problem on your hand there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's because staying power. Yeah. yeah. So there was an investigation by the International Nuclear Safety Advisory Group, which is part of the International Atomic Energy Agency, 
which is an organization that promotes peaceful use of nuclear energy. And it was established in 1957 through the UN. So there's two reports. One is in 1986. And the initial report said that it was operator action. So there would be a Soviet criminal trial. Five plant employees would be sentenced from anywhere from two to 10 years in labor camps. So they were directly blamed for the nuclear meltdown. But the report was revised in 1992, and reactor design was cited, but both the reports cited uh, inadequate safety culture, like uh, the way the plant was designed, the safety analysis, and the way people communicated all led to the, the accident. Hmm. Yeah, there are entire documentaries on the accident itself for anybody who wants like a really detailed look at it. And I even saw one about how it affected people in the area, which was quite depressing, as Agent Ether said earlier. Right, right. I don't want to go we don't, into that. We don't want to go into too much detail on that because it's, uh, it's bad. It's really bad. Although I will say, I actually grew up in uh, military housing in an area very close to Würzburg. And that's about a thousand miles or 1,700 kilometers from Chernobyl. Now, the nuclear fallout is um, actually only like 700 miles, but because of the level of secrecy, yeah, but because of the level of secrecy (laughs) in the Soviet Union at the time, like very little information was released. So nobody in the surrounding countries knew how bad it was or how far it was going to fall because there was just this secrecy right because of the uh the cold war and people were worried about it getting in their water so they covered all the drinking fountains and they bathed with bottled water they just drank bottled water they were worried about the rain so they stayed indoors uh the public actually found out because sweden had a nuclear power plant kind of nearby and someone noticed the radiation monitor registered higher than it should have been So then the U.S. pointed their spy satellites towards Chernobyl, and they were kind of able to see the devastation from these satellites. Wow. (laughs) That's just, that's crazy that, I mean, and that's, the, the thing that's really concerning about that too is that I could see that happening again, uh, something like that where, you know, you need to notify people immediately so people can get out of the area and get safe. Yeah. And yet they want to cover it up as much as possible so they don't. And then people end up getting hurt worse than necessary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It affects the rest of their life. You know? Yeah. Well, they certainly didn't disclose anything to the Soviet civilians. So they didn't tell anybody. They told them a different story as far as what had happened. Like they downplayed everything. The guys, the people who were like the first responders to the event. And like the people who were involved in the cleanup and the construction of that uh, that big old sarcophagus and stuff, they were all basically lied to and told that oh, don't worry about it; it's not that big of a deal. You can spend this much time here, and then you have to you have to get out. But you know, yeah, there's a little bit of radiation, but they weren't told like no, no, this is probably gonna kill you. <laughs> you know, like they weren't they weren't being honest to them, which mm-hmm. you know I guess kind of makes sense because you know I mean if I was a worker and I was told oh it's a nuclear meltdown, you need to go help fix it or help clean up, I'd be like no. No, 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 no. I don't want, I don't want to. Double time, triple time. It ain't going to happen. Uh, you know. Oh, that reminds me of that movie. What was the movie? What was the movie about the submarine 
that uh, went through a nuclear meltdown. Do you remember that? K-19, Widowmaker. Oh, who, yeah, oh. who was in that movie? Yeah, yeah. That was Harrison Ford, I believe. Was it? I think so. That was a good movie. Yeah, that was a good movie. I like. I swear. I was on the edge of my seat. I don't seat. think I've I, seen that one. Oh, you should. I don't normally get into movies. Like, I don't really get drawn into that kind of a movie. But the whole time, I was just... Oh man, I didn't know it was going to happen next. It, it and wow, in the ending, and yeah. you should see it. Everybody should see this. I, movie. I know what movie you're talking about. Yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure I haven't seen. It. I think I would remember it. You know what I mean? Based on a true story, by the way. Yes. Yeah, that we could totally include yeah, that oh, yeah. in the uh, nuclear shenanigans. If oh we yeah. We have a part three. Absolutely. Well, I mean, there's. There's been so many nuclear shenanigans over the years. We could have multiple yeah. parts. There's no end well, to it. <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's a funny thing because uh, I haven't seen the movie. And I'm, not, I'm not very familiar with it, but that fellow I talked about, Vasily uh, Ark, Arkhipov, I think that his character is based off of him because his his uh, original sub that he saved from having a nuclear meltdown was K-19. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that might be. So that, mu- that must be about that incident. It could be. I haven't seen it in a long time. I would totally watch that movie again, like tonight. Let's it's scary. It. Well, I mean, we don't want to. We don't want to freak out Agent Redacted and Agent uh, the other agent. <laughs> we haven't come up with a good agent name for him yet. So we'll have to work yeah, just Agent Agent Other. Agent Other. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to. It's uh, it's a it's one of those. It's a suspenseful movie, and it's very unsettling. I will just say that. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, because I mean, the little bit that I do know about that story that happened in real life, uh, there was quite a bit of the uh, the engineers and, and crew members that that were working on making a um, a, a, a a bypassed cooling system, basically to to because that's that's what failed on the submarine was the cooling system. So that's why they're worried about having a nuclear meltdown. And um, most of those those guys that worked on that they died relatively soon. And as a matter of fact. Um, Vasily uh, Arkhipov, um, when he uh, died, I think it was in 1990 or was it 1998? Somewhere around like 1998 or something. The cancer that he has, that he had, that he died from, um, they think that that's probably where he got it from was that event because he he was exposed to a lot of radiation, like, but he wasn't right there in the reactor room. But like everybody on the boat was, everybody on the submarine was exposed to it. There's no, you know, getting getting around that. So I want to go over some conspiracies surrounding Chernobyl. And the first one, Agent ETA has actually mentioned in the past, locally in the district of Ukraine, there have been stories of a humanoid creature with red eyes and wings seen by workers leading <laughs> up to the accident. And they dubbed, oh, yeah. they dubbed this humanoid the Blackbird of Chernobyl. That sounds familiar. It does. People claim that they got nightmares, intimidating phone calls, and waking vision hmm. from, yeah, after the sightings. And, and there were multiple sightings. And researchers suggest it was just a black stork, which was an endangered species from South Eurasia. Stork, Mothman. Stork, hmm. Mothman. <laughs> oh, well, they're not entirely unlike each other, except moths don't have feathers. But you know, all right. So here's the <laughs> one way you could you could break this case here. So if you got a good look at the that creature's ass, you know you know <laughs> yeah. if it was the Mothman or not. Yeah, that's a good point. You know I mean? Actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I hate to I hate to keep on going on this, but like that ass though. 
You know? Well, I mean, look at Just that. Just saying. Have all, you seen it? All. Have you all seen right, it? Moving on to <laughs> conspiracy number two has to do with biblical predictions in the book of Revelations. Okay. And online, people will break down the verses and they'll analyze them sentence by sentence. But here's the quote, which I've paraphrased, that they say is specific to Chernobyl and the end of times. Basically, it says uh, there's a third angel that sounds a trumpet. A star fell like a burning torch on the rivers. The name of the star was Wormwood, and the waters became Wormwood, and many people would die. The interesting thing is that the Russian word for Chernobyl is actually Wormwood. No. no shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a specific type of black grass. That's weird. And I looked it up. I didn't wow. believe it. I was like, it is not. They're making it up. But I looked it up and several sources said that that was true. That's pretty damn creepy right there. And a yeah, local artist would then go on and he would put up, he'd erect this big statue of an angel kind of as a tribute to those who worked at the site and who passed away and were affected by Chernobyl, and so people who are into this uh, biblical prediction, revelations kind of conspiracy theory said that's a reflection of revelations, of the predictions of the future, because that's what revelations is. It's supposed to be predictions of the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, I don't like it one bit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds right on, right? Yeah, I, I want nothing to do with any sort of revelations, okay? I want a nice and boring life is what I'm after. <laughs> so we have conspiracy theory number three. There's a documentary, and it's called The Immortals. And at first I thought this conspiracy was actually based on a movie. And then I read further and I realized the documentary was based on this theory, so there's an island, Gavdos, in Greece, and it's made up completely of Russian scientists and survivors, or at least it was, I don't know about now. And they were cut off from the rest of the world, and the group existed for about a decade before they went to the island, and their leader and founder was a nuclear physicist, and his name was Andre. He was exposed to uh, high levels of radiation, so naturally he was advised to go to a clinic and get treated, right? Yeah. Naturally. So instead, he went into seclusion, and he claims he cured himself by drinking copious amounts of vodka. Well, I mean, mm. that fixes all problems. <laughs> so then he was all better, founded this group, and went to the island to study and become immortal. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. So that's the whole third conspiracy kind of surrounding immortality didn't hmm. cause Chernobyl was kind of like a byproduct or side effect of Chernobyl. Hmm. Sort of like getting superpowers or something. I guess so. I hadn't thought of it that way. The ability to drink as much vodka as you want and uh, become immortal. Although I wonder if vodka is part of the recipe, maybe irradiated vodka. I don't know. Was it that specific? I don't know. Maybe it was like distilled near Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> distilled in the reactors of Chernobyl. Yummy. And then there's another conspiracy that they were actually weaponizing their reactors and that they purposefully destroyed Reactor 4 
to study how it would melt down, kind of the side effects of doing so, or perhaps they were doing experiments there on weaponization, which resulted in the core meltdown. Hmm. That one, is there any evidence for that one? Because there is zero. These are more like fringe theories that I found online that people are, you know, uh, making assumptions about or just saying, well, this is what I think may have happened. But no, 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 no. There's no no evidence per se. (laughs) Because sometimes when you hear a wild theory like that, you're like, yeah, that sounds like nonsense. And when you dig in a little bit, like, wait a minute, there's something to it. But often there is not. It's just kind of a fun theory. Well, it makes sense they might be doing experimentation. I mean, there was so much silence and secretivity. Is that a word? Secretivity? Well, it is now. <laughs> surrounding like surrounding the Soviet mm-hmm. Union, right? They could have been doing anything yeah, it's, within it's like their a, borders. It's like Dark Helmet. You know, it could be making faces under there. It That's right. Be, it could be doing anything under there. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's like someone I work with said, you know, you could be eating or making faces and frowning behind your mask. You don't know what's going on behind that mask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's enough room back there for anything. <laughs> <laughs> so another theory, and there is some evidence for this one, is that it was a natural earthquake. Okay. Because there was actually an earthquake And I saw some people say it was a three, some people say it was a four on the Richter scale the night of April 25th or 26th. Three geological stations recorded that small seismic event. Hmm. So there's a theory that maybe the rod that protected the reactor was not designed to withstand any kind of shaking because earthquakes were so rare. And that led to an eventual failure. Interesting. That one sounds uh, plausible, actually. A little more plausible. Yeah. And there was an earthquake, so there is, there is evidence in that case. Yeah, interesting. But what if it wasn't a natural earthquake? What if it was tech, a, a tectonic weapon or a weaponized earthquake? Dun, dun, dun. dun. And we've seen we can create earthquakes like through the geothermal industry. It does happen. Or through fracking. Yes, fracking. <laughs> There's a whole other conspiracy episode for you right there. But the the formal official newspaper of the Soviet Union, Pravda, reported in 1992 that they had, in fact, developed a, a weapon like that. But the USSR Ministry of Defense immediately denied it. Tesla apparently had once claimed the same thing to have created that kind of a device. Yeah, Tesla's an interesting one. We should do an episode on him some, at oh, some point. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah. So another conspiracy is that it was actually KGB sabotage. Really? Yeah. Okay. That uh, they wanted to either put off other countries from using nuclear plants. Specifically, they wanted Europe to become dependent on Soviet Union energy sources like oil and gas. Okay. And that might seem far-fetched, except there's a German-Russian gas line built in 2011, and Europe's going to continue to rely on Russia for a lot of its energy. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And that one event did kind of sour the entire world on nuclear power. I mean... Yeah, that's true. People do point to that event when they're discussing 
whether or not, you know, they should build a, a nuclear power plant in your town. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to live anywhere near a nuclear power plant. And I think most people would have that same feeling, you know? Yeah, I was looking at a job and there were like multiple nuclear power plants in the area. And I was like, maybe not. Yeah, maybe meh. I don't want this job. Man, no thanks. <laughs> it's relatively safe. The job paid relatively well, but I just wasn't sure. Beautiful area. Well, another one that I'd like to talk about at some point, I'm not sure, you know, maybe another nuclear shenanigans episode, but in Cal- here, just in California, was the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant, which had all kinds of problems, but we won't get into that. That's a whole other topic. What an ominous name. Yeah, right? Why would you build a nuclear power plant in Diablo Canyon? What the hell is wrong with you? Well, it's PG&E, so that that kind of explains it all, I guess, you know. So I actually have 10 conspiracies, and this is number eight. You guys will like this. It was aliens. All right, aliens. Okay, okay, I'm on board already. Yeah, let's do it. So um, eyewitnesses reported UFOs hours before the explosion, as many as... Uh, let's see, it says hundreds of people within six hours before the explosion would say they saw UFOs. And this was reported in Pravda, which is that newspaper that I mentioned before. There was somebody specifically who was interviewed, one Mikhail Varitsky, and he said, I and other people from the team went to the blast site and we saw a ball of fire moving slowly in the sky, six to eight meters in diameter. Two rays of crimson light went towards the fourth reactor from the UFO, which was 300 meters away, for three minutes, and then flew to the northwest. Weird. So there's, mm. there's that, and then there's a different theory. Surround- wait, 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 let's back up there. What, okay. if, what if it wasn't caused by UFOs? What if... When, when it went nuclear, when nuclear events happen, particles travel both forwards and backwards in time. So the ones that went backwards in time, then the aliens were able to detect those. So they knew where it was going to happen before it happened so they could get there to witness it. So they just wanted to witness this meltdown. Yeah, because I mean, you know, with their technological advantage, we wouldn't really stand a chance. If they wanted to nuke stuff, they would just nuke it, right? It doesn't make sense that they would actually cause the explosion, or the meltdown, I should say, right? Well, the opposite actually might be true. Some claim that the extraterrestrials were there to help, and that if they weren't there, half of Europe would have seen fallout. So the aliens were actually there to prevent further explosions by using their advanced technology to prevent further explosions. Okay, well, I've heard that aliens are just us in the future, like they're time travelers. And I think they're up there with their futuristic iPhones still taking pictures. I think that, you know, thousands of years from now, there's still going to be iPhones. Well, I think uh, I can disprove that right now, because if that was the case, then one of them would have fallen out of their flying saucer while trying to take a selfie with a selfie oh, stick. I have an idea. What's up? Maybe that's how iPhones were created. Well, kind of oh, like, yeah. okay. kind of like a causal loop there, so right? Such advanced technology all of a sudden falling into our laps. Somebody just has this idea, and now it's completely changed society and our technology. So somebody came back from the future to take a, a selfie of themselves 
at the Chernobyl disaster. Or anywhere. And they fell out of their flying saucer because, of course, it's going to have like a balcony or something. You know, why wouldn't it? And uh, they fell down and they splatted on the ground. And then um, Steve Jobs just so happened to (laughs) mosey along and he picked it up and uh, reverse engineered it. Look what we get. Yeah, Steve Jobs was happened to be in the area. He was, he, he was hitchhiking. Yeah, you know, in the, in the area, and he's like, "Yeah, hey, look what we got here. Look at this shit. I bet that's something. I'll pick that up. I like it. <laughs> that's a, a good one. He's a smart guy. Yeah, could have happened. Well, he worked with smart guys, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of weird ideas. Didn't he have a diet that was based on just fruit? Yeah, he only. Uh, so I, I'm not an expert on Steve Jobs, but apparently he only ate fruit. And it caused health problems. And his doctor said, hey, you should probably not do that because it's bad. And then he was like, nah, I'm still going to do it. And then it ended up killing him, apparently. I don't know. I don't think that's quite what happened. All right. Well, anyways, sorry to interrupt you, Agent Ether, but I just had that thought occurred to me that uh, there might be more to the UFO angle than, uh, than meets the eye. There's all kinds of stuff you could talk about with that one. So please continue with the rest of your theories. All right. Have you heard of Project Woodpecker? Is that anything like Project Blue Book? No. It was a, a Soviet Union radio facility, and it emits... It, I can't even talk today. Uh, it was close to Chernobyl, and it would emit like high-pitched frequencies. Some people think it was uh, like an early warning system, like anti-ballistic missile system, and it was known to disrupt communications, and some people think it was used for mind control. Wait, wait, wait. Are we talking about harp here? I don't know. It says woodpecker. So the idea is they were doing experiments there, and uh, it resulted in the meltdown of Chernobyl. Hmm. What kind of experiments? We'll never know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Bad experiments. That's what's kind. (laughs) And then finally, it was some sort of CIA conspiracy, and there were spies, And they went in there, and I'm not going to go into it because HBO apparently has a show called Chernobyl, and that's where this idea comes from. And I really don't like when there's a conspiracy that kind of is centered around or comes from a movie or a TV show or a book. I feel like it doesn't count as a conspiracy. That's more just like, you know. Although? Although? It wouldn't be all that strange. We know for a fact that they did try to... Um, um, I'm, I don't know about, um, if they were ever successful, but there was a virus, I think it was actually, I don't think it was the United States. I think it was the Israelis, but they released a virus. I think it was called like Stuxnet or something. And it was for the Iranian nuclear silo or nuclear power plants. And the, uh, the goal of the virus was to get those power plants to melt down. So we know for a fact that, uh, in this one case, at least, that that has been attempted. Uh, I'm not too, I remember reading about it. I'm not too familiar with the case, so I don't want to say too much about it, but it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility. And who knows, maybe in this case, it was the CIA or somebody and they were successful. Went in and sabotaged it. Yeah. Infiltrated. Anything's possible. And they were trying really hard to, you know, F with each other back then. So I I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility, to be honest. That would yeah, makes I me agree. think of like a double agent though, because how are you going to get an American in there, right? During the Cold War as someone who's faking being a Russian. So I'm not sure. I have to think about that. 
Yeah, I think a lot of that cloak and dagger stuff involves bribing people to do what you want, right? This is a big deal, though. Hey, we want you to go into Chernobyl, a nuclear reactor, and do some sabotage. I yeah, mean, the I implications. Mean, yeah, but they, they could have hired somebody to just flip the right switch and then just, okay, go flip this switch and just walk out. And then, you know, that'll cause the meltdown, you know, or disable this particular sensor so that people can't, so it's not reading correctly or something. I mean, it might not be that hard to do. It might not require, you know, like a Mission Impossible level plot. Well, it's not even that. It's, it's not just spying. Like, I don't know. That's a different kind of level of treason. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, well, I mean, there are individuals out there who would be willing to do anything for a buck. I mean, that's, that's a fact. That's very true. Yeah. That's very true. But who knows? That's a good one, though. I like that one. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and there are more conspiracies surrounding Chernobyl, but those are the ones I had time to investigate. Those are some good conspiracies. I like it. But all right. So I'll get in. Are you all finished with yours, Agent Ether? I am. All right. I'll get into my particular case that I was looking into for this time. And it's similar to Agent ETAs because this is a time, just one of many apparently, where the world almost ended. This happened on September 26th, 1983. The Soviet Union's missile radar system detected an ICBM launch from the United States. And there was one officer named Stanislav Petrov. If he had taken this at face value, he would have reported the launch up the chain of command, and full-scale nuclear war would have ensued. But that didn't happen. Let's take a look at what did. Um, as we all know, this happened at the height of the Cold War, as it always is when we're talking about the Cold War, but things were especially tense around this time. The East and West, both powers, had been escalating the Cold War by building more and more missile silos with capabilities to strike each other around the world. And uh, Agent ETA was talking about this earlier. This is exactly what had been going on for a long time. You know, they would sort of inch it up. We would put something here. They would put something there. And at the end of the day, either one of us could have killed each other in, you know, about 10 minutes or something like that. So we're talking about a very tense situation. In 1981, the USA began psychological operations. It involved a series of stealthy naval operations into Soviet territory in the far north and far east. The point was to demonstrate how close the Western powers could get to Soviet Union bases undetected. They also sent American bombers toward Soviet airspace, breaking off at the last moment before entering the enemy zone. They did this several times a week. <laughs> These operations tested Soviet capabilities and basically it was a way of flexing their muscles and saying, this is what we can do, what are you going to do about it? I have a quote here. It really got to them, said Dr. William Schneider, the former Undersecretary of State for Military Assistant and Technology, who saw classified after-action reports that indicated U.S. flight activity. They didn't know what it all meant. A squadron would fly straight at Soviet, Soviet airspace and other radars would light up and units would go on alert. Then, at the last minute, the squadron would peel off and return home. Of course, in hindsight, it seems like a really bad idea to kind of poke <laughs> poke somebody who's got nuclear weapons just to see how they're going to react. You they know, were poking the freaking bear. Yeah, sure. there's a sleeping bear. Let me poke it with a stick and see whether or not it's going to eat me. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> 
You're just like, hey, fuck her. Hey, fuck her. Hey, yeah. hey. <laughs> Maybe hey, a mama bear, hey. too. <laughs> it's just, hey, oh, yeah. God, he's looking back. I mean, I know, I understand that, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but just looking back at some of these things, you're just like, what were they thinking? At any rate, the, the escalating tensions had real consequences. For example, on September 1st, 1983, Korean Airlines Flight 007 accidentally flew over prohibited Soviet airspace and was shot down. All 269 people aboard were killed, including Congressman Larry McDonald, a representative from Georgia. On March 23rd, President Ronald Reagan announced that the Strategic Defense Initiative, a.k.a. the Star Wars program, Oh, I forgot to write the year for that. I think it was 1981. I'm pretty sure. But if anybody, I mean, you guys had to have heard of the Star Wars program, but if you haven't, uh, it was one of the biggest boondoggles in the history of, you know, military budgeting. On the other hand, I'm, I always wonder if they, they put all this money into it and then they, they quote unquote said, claimed that it did not work. The Soviets were really unhappy about this. It was sold as a defensive measure, but to the Soviets, it was sending a clear message. Basically, it was saying, you can't, you can't touch us, but we can nuke you anytime we want. And this was really, really a tough pill for the Soviets to swallow. And there was a lot of protests all over the world. And it was, it was kind of a, like a negative thing. So I wonder if they just said that it didn't work just to, you know, just to kind of like get the heat off of them. But I think they were lying about that. But who knows? Maybe it really didn't work. But I I, I don't know. I kind of want to look into that one a little bit more at some point. Maybe do an episode. I don't know if it will warrant an episode, but it's a really interesting topic. Uh, Around this time, Soviet leaders believed that the USA was preparing a secret nuclear attack. So that was, I'm I'm just trying to set the stage here is like, that's what they believed. Like they didn't think that, okay, well, you know, we have this mutually assured destruction which that was sort of the strategy was that there's no way to win a nuclear war. So the only way to win is to make sure that if they attack you, you attack them back and that you both die so that nobody attacks each other. That's the only way basically to prevent a nuclear attack by the threat of a nuclear attack. That's the only viable strategy. And that's what both sides were kind of going for during this time. But the Soviet leaders, that it was their belief that the USA was actually preparing a secret nuclear strike, hopefully to strike them so swiftly and disable them that they would not be able to retaliate. That's what they believed. Um, So this is just some kind of like some highlights of the area of the times, but to sum it up, things were so tense that the world was literally on the brink of destruction and it's a miracle that it didn't happen. I'm just looking into one time that the world almost ended and unfortunately, but oh, fortunately, I don't know. I don't know which crazy, crazy times though. But anyways, I have a good quote here from Bruce Blair, an expert on Cold War nuclear strategies and the former president of the World Security Institute. He said uh, the re- relationship between the two had deteriorated to the point where the Soviet Union as a system, not just the Kremlin, not just the Soviet leader Yuri Andropov, not just the KGB, but as a system, was geared to expect an attack and to retaliate very quickly to it. It was on hair-trigger alert. It was very nervous and prone to mistakes and accidents. The false alarm that happened on Petrov's watch could not have come at a more dangerous, intense phase in U.S.-Soviet relations." 
Again, this happened on September 26, 1983. The Soviets had an early warning system to detect an incoming nuclear launch. On this particular day, it was manned by Lieutenant Colonel Stanislav Petrov. His job was basically just to monitor the system for a launch and then report that launch to his superiors. The established strategy, if a launch was detected, was to launch an immediate counterattack against the USA. Because remember, we're talking about, in some cases, you know, a 10-minute window where you have 10 minutes before you're dead. So you have to act very quickly. So if they detect something incoming, just like at the drop of a hat, boom, retaliate. That's it. That's the strategy, right? This was um, (laughs) kind of a crazy thing to think about, but this is... This was the strategy, and in fact, we still have nuclear weapons, so I don't know why I'm talking in the past tense, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping we've evolved as a society, and we don't really intend to use them anymore. <laughs> God, I hope not. Yeah. yeah. Yuck, yuck. <laughs> nod, nod, wink, wink, right? But anyways, just after midnight, the early warning system detected one incoming ICBM, Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, headed toward the Soviet Union from the direction of the United States. Now, a mere mortal such as myself would probably start by crapping his pants and then calling the missile into his superiors. But Stanislav said to himself, now wait just a minuta here. That's how you say minute in Russian. Is it though? Kind of. I looked it up earlier and that's what it sounded like. Okay. (laughs) Minuta. Did you do the little pronunciation thing on Google? Sometimes I'll put in words like Russian words and then I'll listen to them. Yeah, and it sounded like minuta. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said to himself. Now just a minuta here, or, you know, whatever bad Russian accent I can come up with. Uh, Something didn't seem right about the missile. It didn't make sense that the United States would launch a single missile. The only sensible strategy, or so he thought, was to launch hundreds of missiles all at once to ensure total destruction. And that does make a certain amount of sense. If you're going to launch a surprise attack... One missile, yeah, that's going to do some damage, but that's not going to disable the entire Soviet Union. It's just going to piss them off, and then they're going to launch a counterattack. So it, may, it didn't make sense to him that, that the system was detecting one, one missile, and he said, well, let's just go ahead and wait and see what happens here. <laughs> he thought it was a system error, right? Uh, he had no way of knowing that it was a system error. It could have been a real missile, but he was just sort of going on his gut. He was just guessing, it was an educated guess, but it was still a guess. And when the uh, when the system timer counted down and no missile arrived at the intended target, uh, it confirmed that it was a system error. And he was like, "Oh, good. Well, you know." But <laughs> can you just put your put yourself in that place? Can you imagine you're sitting there, this high tech, brand new missile detection system that's supposed to detect missiles, <laughs> detects a missile, and you're just sitting there. Ah, let's just see what happens. I don't think it's a real missile, but uh, let's find out. Let's just see if it lands, you know? Uh, and it uh, didn't. I mean, it, it, unbelievable. I can't, I cannot imagine the stress involved, but maybe this guy had ice water in his veins. I don't know. Well, thank God for him and his cool head. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering how it's possible to falsely detect a nuclear missile. And the conclusion I've come to is that this was System was programmed by Microsoft. That explains the bug, right? <laughs> but oh, I want to know how we know about this. Well, it it was uh, we didn't for a long time. That same morning, a little bit later, the system detected four more missiles incoming. Once again, Stanislav had no way to confirm that it was an error. 
But once again, no missiles hit their targets, and he did not report it to his superiors. <laughs> so he sees four more missiles, and he's like, it's four this time, but eh, it's probably still a mistake. You know, it's probably an error. <laughs> oh, gosh. So it did happen twice, not just once. Uh, a later investigation determined that the false detection was caused by a rare alignment of sunlight on high-altitude clouds. And I guess that looks an awful lot like an ICBM, you know, sunlight on the high clouds. I don't know, but that's the conclusion they came up with. In later interviews, Stanislav said that he didn't really trust the new system. And that's it. He went on a hunch, and he didn't trust the new system. And that's why we're all here today. If it had been somebody else on duty, or if he had trusted that system then he would have reported it up to his superiors as a legitimate missile attack and they would have retaliated and none of us would be here and we'd anybody who was left would be living in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. We were that close yet again to nuclear holocaust, I guess. It's crazy. This event wasn't publicly known until 1998. Stanislav was initially, initially praised by his superiors and offered a reward for his actions. However, he was later reprimanded and no reward was given. The failure of the system was embarrassing to the military and high-ranking scientists who had developed the system would have been embarrassed by it. If he had gotten an official award, then the scientists would have had to have been punished. He was uh, reassigned after the incident. He was reassigned to a less sensitive post and eventually retired from the military early. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you saved the world, but we're not going to really reward you for it. And it's just, just like Agent ETA's incident, it's so crazy to think that we were just this close. I'm holding, I'm holding up my fingers very, very close. If you, you know, we don't have video, but I'm holding up my fingers, my index finger and my thumb very close to each other. And I'm saying this close to nuclear annihilation. It's just blows my mind to think that this has happened more than once. And if, you know, like I said, if there was a different guy on duty at that time, boom, it would have happened. We'd all be dead, you know, or never would have been born, depending on your age. It's just absolutely crazy. We're going to say something aging either. No, I'm just, I'm really cold. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a jacket? I'm wearing a jacket. <laughs> it is kind of chilly out. But yeah, so that's basically the one, uh, the case that I had to talk about. It's uh, it's scary to think of that these nuclear weapons are still out there and mistakes could still happen. We are not out of the woods yet. This could happen at any moment. Sorry to ruin your guys' evenings, but, you know, at the drop of a hat, somebody could make a mistake and it could go the wrong way and we could have a total all-out nuclear war. Way to ring in the new year. Yeah, the end. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well... Uh, I think that's about all we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you could really help us out by leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep it strange.